episode number 42 of the Development Hell podcast. This is a very rare thing where we're actually recording late on a Friday night. I usually reserve Friday nights for sitting on the couch and complaining to my wife about the week. But it's a special occasion. We're only a couple of days away from my 43rd birthday, which I couldn't even get off from work because we're in the middle of some big nasty sprint to get to minimum viable product status. And it's just reminded me of all the things I really, really disliked about startups, but enough about me. Let's talk about my podcast. So, uh, before we get into it, um, I'd like to thank our awesome sponsors. Let's thank, uh, engine yard, fine purveyors of platform as a service, one of the trailblazers and pioneers in the whole run your code inside uh, scalable sandboxes. If you're into running PHP, uh, node, and Ruby, uh, and you like, and you don't want to get some of the hassles of admitting sites, uh, just, just out of your hands and, and somebody else can worry about it. Uh, we highly recommend checking out Engine Yard. And, uh, so thank you very much, Engine Yard, for sponsoring our podcast. Also, we want to thank the fine folks at Wonder Networks, Paul and Will. Thanks so much for providing the bandwidth so that we can stream, um, stream the podcast live as we record it. And as usual, I apologize for the super dark topic material that was going on in the pre game show um so uh so at the other side of the mic would be uh ed finkler funkatron ed how's it going dude uh pretty good earlier today i thought i was going to uh murder myself because i was trying to learn how to use salt stack and uh i had i put two hours into it and had nothing to show except like five deleted vagrant vms dude the the guy you need to talk to about that is actually in the irc channel yeah is, is it joel no, it's Justin Carmody. I mix them up. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Mr. people who have J and C as Mr. their initials. Mr. Mr. Salt, I have a Salt Stack T-shirt at home. I am actually interested in Salt Stack, but I found that I, I, what exactly I wanted to do with it, which I guess was really, I wanted to, uh, like provision a vagrant box up that did a particular thing that built this uh, scraping server that we use for the Open Recipes project. I wanted to oh, have cool. a thing that just build it for you automatically. Cool. Um, and, uh, I at first was trying to use salt and I couldn't really figure out for the tutorials. Just none of them fit exactly what I wanted to do. And I didn't know if I needed a master and a minion. And it was, it's all very confusing. I think it's one of those topics where it's a very, very powerful tool that, um, can do lots of amazing things. Um, and I want it to do a very small thing. And, uh, that's kind of, uh, it was, I don't know. It was just like little things would just be confusing to me. But actually, the funny thing is somebody actually pointed me to something that Justin Carmody put together on, it was a GitHub repo for, I think, uh, a project or it was a tutorial he did on SaltStack and it had a bunch of stuff that looked interesting. So at least I thought I could, uh, kind of get there with there. I ended up actually building it almost all the way with just, you can do provisioning in the newer versions of Vagrant with just, like running shell commands. Yep. Um, so I just did, I did 99% of it like that. Uh, and then I'll probably, I might like look at salt later, but at least I felt like I sort of accomplished something. and was not just the stupidest person on earth. Anyway, that was how my day went. How was yours? Uh, it was okay. You know, I actually, I, I dealt into the world of, um, JavaScript, um, today just to do some stuff. Um, I think we're kind of using some, combination of like jQuery stuff and backbone. So there's events and there's pub sub and I had to do some stuff and um, I had no clue how I was going to make it all work. But luckily my uh, extremely patient and willing to mock me in um, chat channel uh, coworkers 
um, help me out. So I managed to get a bunch of stuff done um, as a birthday present to myself. First thing, uh, Monday morning, I'm writing tests to verify everything. Um, unfortunately, with JavaScript, because my skill level is not anywhere near uh, what it is with PHP, I kind of have to write the code first and then write all the tests afterwards. So at least we have some tests. But anyway, enough about that bullshit. So we're going to talk about the real reason why we're recording tonight. We have uh, a guest on who we've been trying to get on the podcast for Six months to a year is kind of what my memory seems to think. And every time I run ran into her, I would say, you need to come onto the podcast so we can talk to you because you're, you're one of my favorite people. I love to, love to talk to you and love to hear what you're talking about. So we have from, uh, Mozilla, we have Laura Thompson, uh, coming to us live from a, uh, a farmhouse that finally has running water somewhere in Maryland. I think it's more of a bunker, isn't it? No, it's like a hundred-year-old cottage with like foot-wide beams, and we have an Amish-built barn that has pegs instead of nails and stuff like that. It's very rural. But um, the reason I didn't come on sooner was like when you kept saying you should come on the podcast. I thought it was some kind of like death threat or something, so yeah. I just kind of quietly ignored it. And, and then I realized it was a genuine invitation. So now I'm here. So I first met Laura. Uh on the internet, I can't even remember when I first, but the first time I met Laura was at uh, a conference, Open Web Vancouver. That's got to be 2008, 2009? Oh, maybe even longer ago. Yeah, around then, maybe 2007. I don't think it was that early because I don't think I went to the 2007 one. I'm pretty sure it was 2008. But anyway, um, and I do remember Laura, we were, we, um, a group of us ended up going a bunch of places. I do remember Laura limping around mm-hmm. like crazy because her knee was all messed up from uh, yeah. from an accident because you're an avid uh, horsey type. So um, I think you'd hurt yourself. Um, so you were limping around I pretty good. I did not hurt my knee skiing. But yeah, I, I was probably – I hurt my knee skiing. I hurt, did not hurt my knees riding. I hurt other oh, okay. parts of myself riding. Right. But, you know, that's so, okay. So I do remember multiple times me saying to you, of course, being Canadian, I had to say, are you sure you want to keep walking? <laughs> are you are you okay? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Let's just keep uh, going. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, so, um, so, uh, so yes, we, uh, finally cornered Laura and say, okay, we want you to come on. Let's think of a time. And so I, I gave up my, uh, my weekly, uh, complaining to the wife slot in order to come and speak to Laura. So, uh, so Laura, why don't you tell our, our, our loyal listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, it's funny you should mention Vancouver PHP because I'll come back to that. But the funny thing is I was actually, at a pub with Jeff Griffiths last week, who I also met at Vancouver PHP, ah, and we discussed Stanley. that I know conference. Him, I, yeah, I know him. Yes. I remember him quite well. I haven't, I haven't seen him well, in years. He works at Mozilla Hotel. That's yeah, what, I haven't yeah. seen him in years. Um, there's a lot of Vancouver rights at Mozilla. So I'm Laura Thompson. Uh, some of you may know me as the one of the co-authors of PHP and MySQL Web Development, but fifth edition coming sometime soon. Don't ask me when. Um, I have been working at Mozilla for six and a half years. So those are kind of my, my big open source high points. Um, I don't write as much PHP as I used to, sadly. Um, in fact, recently I'm doing as much coding as I would like, but that's one of those things. Uh, that's it, really, I think. Is there anything else to be said? I live in the middle of nowhere um, with six horses and 16 chickens and four cats and a dog and a child and a husband uh, and where I work on the internet doing technical things all day in between not having running water. It's a strange contrast. And for people listening, they may think that they're listening to a rural Maryland accent, but you're not really from rural <laughs> rural Maryland, are you? Not originally, no. This is an Australian accent. Although people do get confused, right? They're like, what part of Maryland are you from? 
Um, but if, you know, you just tell funny. them Sydney or or, no, Can, no, no. or Canberra or something. Just call, call everyone the call them English and uh, and just start wearing a dress like that, and, and they'll all think you're Amish. <laughs> Amish programmers are the best kind. You know there are books yeah. about Amish vampires now. I just thought I would mention that. Did you just say Amish vampires? There, there are Amish vampire romances now. Damn. Yeah, seriously. Uh, there goes my weekend. <laughs> if you were short of something to read. It'll be my no, birthday. Um, people are going to ask me what I want for my birthday. I want you to leave me the hell alone so I can finish this Amish vampire romance trilogy. Just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so at, at Mozilla, like you were talking about, you've kind of moved away from doing a lot of coding and more to being like a technical manager type. So, um, uh, I know we were talking about beforehand, you've kind of morphed, you used to be just kind of in charge of one team. And, um, I know that Brandon Savage used to work at Mozilla. Did he work with yeah. you on one of your teams that you managed? Yeah, he worked for me. Yeah. So, right. um, my history at Mozilla is that when I started, um, actually the third, uh, full-time web dev hired, and that was all PHP. I started off working on addons.mozilla.org and wrote the first API, which the browser talked to, um, and still does if you go to the add-ons manager. It's a different a different code now, but same thing. Um, second big thing I worked on was Sumo, which is the support website. This is actually relevant. Um, and that was actually a really fun project. This is going back a long way now. They said, you know, we're going to launch the support website, so if you're looking at Firefox and you hit help, you will go to this website. And... We've set it up and we need you to work on it. Well, why is that? And I said, well, you know, across the whole cluster, all the web heads, everything, you know, we can serve about eight requests a second. And there are 10 machines in this cluster. And I'm like, well, you know, that's probably not such a good thing. So, <clears throat> you know, I was a little scared. And then came the second part of kind of the, the one, two, which was, oh, and when we launch Firefox 3, for which this is the in-browser help, uh, we're planning on doing this event called Download Day, which is where we're going to try and set a Guinness record for the largest number of people to download the browser on a single day. It was kind of funny. It seemed like a really cool idea, but all of the sort of dev and ops type people sort of, you know, went away and quietly shot themselves, and then we came back and solved all the problems and did it. But it was um, <clears throat> it was a moment of somewhat stress. Uh, somewhat. I worked on that for a couple of years, somewhat stressful. Um, and then I ended up working on uh, crash reporting, which has been the big thing um, for a few years now. And through that, that ended up being sort of a, a whole team doing like tools engineering, basically crash reporting and code search and uh, mirror management and all those kind of like weird behind the scenes web apps that are not web apps that the general public would visit, although most of them are public. Um, so that's been, and we recently renamed ourselves web engineering because it sounds cooler or something. Uh, recently, that, then that's the team that Brandon Savage used to work on until he was spun off to do his own thing, which is awesome, um, and I'm happy for him. Uh, the other teams that have recently joined the fold are Release Engineering and, uh, funnily enough, the Sumo and Input team. So it's back on Sumo again, which is kind of nice. And finally, Developer Services, which is the – it's actually an ops team. Um, it's the ops team that <clears> – <throat> excuse me – looks after things like our source control repos, so Mercurial and Git principally, although I will say right now that Mozilla has five different version control systems, and I have committed to getting rid of 60% of those. So <laughs> that's one of my goals. <laughs>
with you're going to be left with what subversion in RCS is that kind of your goal? <laughs> well, RCS is the only one we don't have, I think. Seriously, um, so right now we have CVS and subversion and Git and Mercurial and BZR. See this. See the fact that I know about RCS is proof that I am an old man on the internet. I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same age as you. So. Yes. <laughs> Cheers, we're, brother. We're we're ancient elders of the internet. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. It's kind of interesting, actually, because um, <clears throat> it's a little scary to you know get slightly older in this industry. Um, and I had a a really frustrating conversation last week. Um, where. You know, we were at dinner and a group of people said to me, so you must have become an engineering manager because you were a shitty engineer. I was actually really taken aback that people wow. would be so rude at first. You should punch and then in I was the like, face. No. They, were, they, were, they weren't Canadian, <laughs> think, were they? One of them was Canadian. Did you um, notice? I just they, assumed it was a man too. <laughs> I'm just really, really certain that's a guy who yeah. said that. <laughs> um, and then so I said, oh, I don't think I was a bad engineer. And they said, oh, I'm a mediocre engineer. Like, what do you say to that? Like, all right. That's when you hit them over the head with a copy. Since before you were born. Yeah, that's when you hit them over the head with a copy of your book is what you do, Laura. Yeah. So I I was pretty much furious about that for about three days, actually. I went around in a snip. And so I'm generally a fairly upbeat person, but I've been kind of cranky for the last couple of weeks, and that's one of the things. Interesting. But, yeah, so growing older is not an awesome thing sometimes um, because people don't give you any respect. Um, <clears throat> but seriously, the, the, one of the things is as you get older, there's almost like a, a compulsion to go into management. And I actually, I do think I'm a good manager, but, um, it's probably a lot harder. I suspect, and not that I'm there yet, but one day I will be 50. And when I'm 50, I think it will be easier to get hired as an engineering manager or as a director of engineering or as a VP of engineering than it will be to get hired as a individual contributor. It's interesting. Well, now you're just depressing the fuck out of me. Thanks, Laura. <clears throat> Let's talk about something happy. <laughs> Sorry, man. You're, you're never going to write any code again, dude. <laughs> well, my outsourcing plan is working so far, so. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I have to admit, I've, I felt the same way, though, about that. Yeah. Uh, but, but it, and, it's, and I don't know how much of it is external expectations mm-hmm. and how much of it is feeling like I sort of want to have more control over what we do. Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like, no, I, I can probably make good decisions about that and let me decide. Yeah. Uh, but there is sort of an expectation and compulsion. And there is also a fear of like some 23 year old kid who, how did he write all this stuff or she write all this stuff? And mm-hmm. why do they have like, they spent all night doing things like they're up all night writing new libraries and frameworks. And I, uh, I fell asleep on the couch at 7 p.m. <laughs> Yeah, but also, Ed, also Ed, you've, I find like you. very frequently having to deal with the fallout of people having to st- having uh, of a twenty three year old programmer having stayed up all night cranking out a framework in a library that's now a key that's now a key component in some project that I've been dropped into, and I end up having to deal with fixing that and making that more manageable. So we're, I think there are, there are some really here. nice things about it, right? Yeah, we are. Um, I think there are some really nice things about it, though. And one of the things is that you get the long view. Like, you actually have more perspective. I figured out the other day. So, I've been, I learned to program in 1980. Um, dun, dun, dun. Scary number. <laughs> I know. Dun, dun, dun. Which is longer <laughs> than many of you listening have been alive. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
everything just kind of gets a sense of perspective. You see things and you say, this is a problem that I've seen before. I know how to solve this. That's one thing. The second thing is that when everyone's going, this production system is down and it's the end of the world, you can say, you know, the world never ended any of the other times and let's just fix it and move on. Um, and that's really nice. Like I, I find that my anxiety levels drop as I get older because it's just, you know, just perspective is worth a lot. So pay attention, whippersnappers. I'm glad you're anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely, my anxiety levels have gotten worse as I've gotten older, but I don't know how that why that works. Nice, Maybe, yeah, yeah uh, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> that, that's probably a different things, problem. I find it's about it's about it's about different things. So. Yeah, that's true. Wow, we're all old. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Good talk, guys. Good talk. This, is, this, is the, this is the shortest episode <laughs> ever. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. So, um, Laura, you and I have actually been very, you and I have actually been um, fortunate enough to have our paths cross um, at a lot more conferences recently, and so um, w- which is nice after having not seen you for ever and ever. And um, so, so you did you did a really kind of like awesome talk about kind of the. History of PHP, which I found kind of very interesting. You're contrasting it then to now, and I found it kind of interesting and and also depressing. And also depressing that I remember a lot of the points you were talking about when they originally occurred, which is again one of those one of the perks of having been around almost forever, it seems. Um, and so I, I know that one of the other things that you've been talking about, and I think this is the one that you're talking about because I, I don't want to cheat and look at the schedule for for tech, but. Um, you're, you're talking about managing, um, difficult people. And we also have a note in here too about kind of dealing with just enough bureaucracy. So, so wh- why don't you talk about, I, I think it'd be not, I'm not looking for like specific examples of like difficult people, but, but what, what has prompted you to actually start talking about this and sharing about your experiences in, uh, uh, as a, as, as a more technically, um, as a more technical manager? Cool. Well, the, the working with difficult people talk, I'll say two things about one was that I think I was asked to do it as a joke and I submitted it almost as a joke amongst a whole bunch of other more technical talks. And that was the one they accepted. So now I have to write it, but I do have some pretty strong ideas. Um, I will say though, and this is kind of one of the things that I have learned over a long period of time, the hard way by repeatedly messing it up is that um, I think very few people are actually difficult, right? So it's a real misnomer. Um, it's a bit like talking about continuous deployment, which is not actually where the bits stream directly from your head to a production web server, right? There's still discrete steps. Um, but uh, difficult people, there are some. Most people aren't actually aren't difficult. It tends to be difficult relationships or difficult situations that you're really dealing with. And then, <clears throat> you know, it's a difficult relationship because you've gotten off on a bad foot or you don't have trust or you're in one of those organizations where you blame everything on other people's teams. Um, so there's those kind of situations. And then there's difficult situations where you're interacting with someone in a very stressful environment and you never get a chance to build a relationship with them. There are, there are like a really, I think, a small percentage of people who are actually just really hard to get along with, and those are the people that nobody gets along with, right? Um, and even so, there's usually a way to work with them, even if it comes down to avoiding them at the end of the day. Um, you know, I mean, those kind of people I'm I'm really talking about, like your, your actual sociopaths and narcissists and people who have a genuine problem that makes them a hard person to work with. Most people are kind of human. Um, you don't have to, the other thing that took me, took me a long time to figure out is you don't actually have to like someone to work with them well. You just have to have respect for them. Um, 
and you have to respect them as a human being, even if you sort of say, well, you know, <clears throat> let, let me say that I am, pretend that I am a 25-year-old Ruby programmer and I have come to work with a an older female PHP programmer and I come from a basis of no respect, right? Um, I think you have to respect them as a person, even if perhaps you don't respect them as an engineer. Um, if you start from a position of treating people as humans, then it's a pretty good starting point. It's really easy, and I think we get very tribal um, in a lot of companies. It's easy to say, like, even though you might have, like, a, a good sense of spirit within your own team, like, say, you know, we're a tribe and we're, like, an awesome team of developers, but those guys are up some morons. <clears throat> and the QA people, my God, how do they get dressed in the morning? You know, those kind of attitudes are what lead to, I think, having difficult relationships at work. Um, and if you can just kind of overcome that and remind people that you're basically all trying to do the same thing at the end of the day and, you know, that's all. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> I feel so warm and fuzzy, but it was really that simple um, a lot of the time. And funnily enough, the things that you can do to make it work better are often really simple things, um, like diffusing bad situations really early, right? Like not letting things fester. I sort of think like the festering of emotion is like the worst thing you can do in a working relationship. If someone does something that pissed you off, pissed you off, you should tell them. You should tell them straight away. <clears throat> you know, if they say something that sound, has them coming off sounding like a colossal asshole, then you should say, hey, I can't believe you just said that. That was really like a not okay thing to say and talk about it um, rather than going away and being mad at them for a week, um, like I've just done with the whole <laughs> you were probably a really bad engineer. Um, but I have talked to a couple of those people and I'll probably talk to the others, you know, out the back with a spiked club. Um, <laughs> that's actually not, <laughs> but really, that's not what I meant. Like, a, you know, a lot of it is just like, we get into like this weird defensive territorial mindset sometimes at work and you just have to take a step back and try and look at things differently. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I find that you, you find there are some people who really have a good skill at that and you should cultivate those people and learn from them as well. So that was a long ramble. No, no, <laughs> that was, thought, that was awesome. Yeah. And, Cause I think it also, seg <laughs> no, yeah. I think it also segues yeah. nicely into like another thing that we wanted to talk about related to this. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, um, um, what happened at GitHub with one of their, um, one of their engineers, um, resigning and then the truth. Uh, okay. I shouldn't say truth because nothing has really been proven, but we have, we have a story where the engineer who resigned revealed what looked to be like a really super terrible culture going on at GitHub. If the things that, um, she was saying led to her dismissal, uh, led to her, no, she wasn't fired. Dismissal again is the wrong word. I'm sorry. Her resignation. If those things are all true, um, this this is a case of where like i mean i know that github is held up as like a utopian place for people to work because they're working on such an interesting project and they're really they've they've created something that lots of like you no know, that literally millions of people have latched onto as a tool that makes their everyday job better and i know ed said the best thing ever that it sounds like github is being run like a tree fort and i think what what ed is talking about is like it's run like everyone's like a bunch of little boys and they're playing make believe um, in a tree house, a tree fort, um, either behind their house or in the forest that only they know about. And so one of the things that we, we talked about that you mentioned really briefly before we started recording was the idea of shadow organizations. And I think that concept is actually, I believe in that too, because GitHub promoted itself as a place where, well, we don't have managers and we let people decide what they want to work on as long as they're advancing the company's goals forward. And one of the things I feel, and you can probably expand on this, is that when you have an, if there are no managers, 
people will appoint themselves managers. And if there are no official, like, uh, hierarchies and structures of control in place, well, people are going to make them up. So they're going to be there whether you want them or not. And I know even working at Cinecore, Cinecore is quite a large, uh, Cinecore is a pretty large organization, 350 to 400 people spread out geographically over a couple of locations, even with a uh, formalized management structure in place. There are sure as hell informal shadow organizations and power structures, uh, happening behind the scenes that, um, you know, even this, even for this project that I'm working on, we're butting heads with what essentially has become a little shadow organization where we're trying to get something done. And this organization seems determined to make it as difficult as possible for us to get this thing accomplished. So there's a lot of things I could say. <clears throat> so I'll try and work my way through them in some sort of vaguely logical order. So <clears throat> what I was going to say was that um, uh, workplace bullying, harassment, toxic situations, uh, lack of accountability, poor management, and I'm not saying any of these things happen in the GitHub situation, but it's possible that they did. Um, it sounds like some of some of those things in some mix of things, but all of those things happen in normally structured organizations all the time, every day. So I think what we see is that having a completely structuralist organization doesn't save you from those things, right? But it doesn't inherently mean that low structure is worse. So that's kind of a, a starting point. Um, the second thing, it's interesting. I, so I gave this talk last year, which is called Minimum Viable Bureaucracy. I'm going to give it again, actually, at um, Velocity, which is a, like a web ops conference in June. And uh, it was really like sort of the summation, I guess some people would write like a paper, but I wrote a talk because that's the way I think um, of like stuff that I've been thinking about for a year about how to do things and how to do things differently. And one of them is that I really like uh, people to be able to structure things in uh, a low structure, emergent, low process way if that's what they want to do. Um, <clears throat> but if you think that there is, you know, you can have a structuralist organization, there's actually no such thing. And I came across this really great paper. I actually came across it. There's a, a guy that is a Mozilla contributor called David Eves, and he's Canadian. He's a genius, um, really one of the smartest people at, like, human soft skills I have ever met. Um, and he worked, I think it was called the, um, the Harvard Negotiation Project, which is all about, like, how to negotiate with people. Um, <clears throat> so he really knows this stuff. And he had written a blog post about this sort of 70s feminist paper, which I then went and read. It's called The Tyranny of Structurelessness. Um, the thing that's kind of interesting is that paper was all over Hacker News last week during the GitHub situation because people were pointing at it. But really what it says is, you know, in the 70s when people were trying to do sort of, you know, feminist co-ops and things like that, that they tried to be completely structuralist, you know, like we're going to throw away like the old-fashioned patriarchal way of doing things and nobody will char be in charge of anybody, we'll all be in charge of ourselves, which sounds awesome. The problem is that if you have ever belonged to like any kind of social or athletics club or if you've ever worked on an open source project, if you have participated in a mailing list, even if it's like the parent-teacher association, you know, or inside your work that has an org chart, there's a shadow power structure, right? <clears throat> the people that get to make decisions in a no structure org are just people who choose themselves. You know, structure emerges. And one of the reasons for thinking about structure is so that you can have some control over what your emergent structure is, right? And make sure that it's something that's constructive. Um, I'm not saying it's controlled by, say, people who are in it for the power. One thing I think is that, um, 
we, we, Luke and I sort of make, my husband Luke and I have had like this long-standing joke. There should be one question that you have to answer that determines whether you're allowed to have a machine gun or not. And that question should be, do you want a machine gun? Um, and if you say yes, then you shouldn't be allowed to have one. Um, <clears throat> it's a little bit like pseudo in that respect, right? But also anyone that thinks that like being a manager will be awesome because they get to have power over other people shouldn't be allowed to be a manager. Um, so having said all that, what I'm really getting at is that I, I think that, you know, you do need to have some sort of like acknowledged leaders because if you don't have acknowledged leaders or managers or founders or whatever you want to call them. Um, then somebody's going to take over and be in charge and it might not be the person that you would prefer. So was that long and rambly enough for you? No, there's not, I don't know why you keep <laughs> saying that you're rambly. This is all, it, this is, this is like gold. This is people should be paying attention to this shit. Just go I ahead and give your talk. Yeah. Because, yeah, right. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, the <laughs> idea that you could have a completely structureless organization where everything is driven by the individual desires of the people that work there, it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. It's, it's, it's utopian, it, though. You, you like look it, it, it sounds and, awesome, right? Yeah, yeah, you look at it and could say it'll be worse than having a really – in many ways, it could be worse than having a really oppressive – but yet, um, recognized management structure above you. Cause like I was reading some of this stuff, cause we're going to have some links to it in the show now about the, the tyranny of structurelessness. And you can kind of look at it and say, you know, if you have clueless managers or clueless people in positions of power, if the, if the structure is formalized, at least there's a way to deal with it. There's hopefully some way for you to say, you can at least go to that person's boss and say, I'm having a problem, or whatever. But if you have a completely free form type of thing where everybody's, everybody's doing their own thing, man, because that's what we're into. To, then, uh, then what do you do? There's almost there's almost nothing you can do. And and reading the allegations from GitHub, I'm I'm thinking, how can anyone that works there? How could they like when people are saying to me, oh, I know some people that work at GitHub, and they're shocked by this. I'm thinking, were they not working in that same office? If they weren't working in that office, okay, maybe maybe they don't know what's going on. But if they worked there. If they were working there, how could they not know that type of stuff was going on? That stuff, that, that's not stuff that's, that's easily hidden. It's out there in the open. When people are doing that type of behavior in front of all these people, how could you not notice it going on? I guess you'd have to be in severe denial or maybe you don't, I mean, this could be a case where people are kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, I like working at GitHub. I don't want to say anything because I'm afraid of the ramifications of, of revealing that things aren't so nice and rosy, um, internally there. It, it, it just strikes me as madness to think that um, th- that out of chaos there will flow uh, positive results all the time, twenty four seven available available to be pushed and um, distributed. I think that I'll say though that I, I oh, think those ahead. people are sneaky. I was just gonna say like I, you know I wouldn't necessarily assume that other people knew what was going on because um, I think. You know, people don't see what's going on right under their noses all the time. Like, I, you know, and there's a lot of people work remote at GitHub too, um, which they do at Mozilla as well. Um, yeah. So if you're not in the office, you don't know. And that's like, what, 70% of the people. So. Yeah, they have a lot of remote. Um, but, but I think, uh, you know, I, I, partly I think what's interesting is that, I, I mean, from the outside, I want to make assumption. I want to sort of assume the best <laughs> um, or not assume the worst. And what I, I guess I would hope and I suspect is that it wasn't intentional that it ended up this way. But I think that there's a, a general suspicion of applying any bureaucracy uh, in uh, amongst 
uh, tech and sort of, let me, I, I hate to generalize too much, but tech and startup culture. Um, and I, and I, and I would say that the, you know, I, I can't think of any time where, uh, I've been to a tech conference and people were talking about like how awesome their HR department is. Um, and so I think there's a tendency to devalue those kinds of things. Um, and so as a consequence, I think that there's sort of a belief that we can, like, that we can, we can self-administrate, <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, but that doesn't really work. Um, I, you know, the one thing, it, it wasn't as severe a thing, um, or as at least it, partly maybe because it wasn't in our, uh, it wasn't in, in, in our, uh, tech circles, uh, so much, but, I, what, the stuff at GitHub reminded me a little bit of, if you guys know who Jerry Ellsworth is, um, and she's kind of famous for being a, uh, like, she's done a bunch of electronic stuff, like a, like oh, a real I I remember this. big hardware I remember hacker. Story. Yeah, she was the hardware person trying to create some, get, she, get, and, uh, Steam to build some, some set, no, some, some VR set, stuff, some, based, yeah. some VR stuff. I was going to say set top box, but that's probably wrong. She was working on, like, so, so she, so the, and I actually have, I've sort of known about her for a while because she like, she created like this, um, box that was sold as like a Commodore 64 and a joystick or something like that. And she, she built it all herself out of like FPGA controllers and stuff like that. And super, super smart person. She, there's a video of her online where she made a, uh, a, uh, synthesizer out of a, uh, electric bass and a Commodore 64 and you could like hit buttons on the Commodore 64 and it was actually using the SID chip in the Commodore 64 to play stuff based on the vibrations of the strings and shit like that. So she is really, really, really awesome at hardware hacking. Right. And you know, steam, uh, I keep saying steam valve, the company valve is often held up as sort of this penultimate company in, in, in game development, uh, that, penultimate that that or is a paradigm of of how a company should be run in game development and uh they have a super super flat structure even though they have a few hundred employees and i think the interesting thing was she got let go her team got let go and she didn't raise a huge stink about it but she definitely was not entirely positive about it. And a lot of the things she said were that, yeah, people say stuff like that, like, oh, it's flat and it's, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, misremembering as much of this, I'm sure, but essentially saying the kinds of things like, yeah, they say that it's supposed to be flat and it's meritocracy and this and that. But in reality, there are, there's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy of who's respected and who's not and who gets listened to and who doesn't get listened to. And, Again, that's, that, that's what happens. And if, and if you kind of run things like, Hey, it's just me and my boys and we're going to hang out and you know what? We're going to start a company. It's going to be awesome. Um, and if that's sort of the way that you think that it can, it does, that doesn't scale to any, it doesn't scale beyond you and your boys. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't scale beyond you and a few people who you're friends with. Um, and, uh, so that, 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 that situation reminded me of it. It was, it, you know, she never described anything that, uh, sounded so, uh, like such emotional harassment that, that, uh, the woman who had left GitHub describes. 
Uh, but it was, it was similar and it was a similar case where I think that, um, I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't want, I, I wouldn't suggest that the pendulum should swing entirely the other way <laughs> where you need to have intense bureaucracy on everything to keep everything in, you know, and I've worked in companies like that and that's not fun. And you're kind of looking at stuff and you're like, well, these procedures are stupid. What do you mean? Like one time I got in, um, as the first company I like first long job I worked at for about four years. Um, I got in trouble. Well, I got a talking to by HR because not because I had taken too many sick days, but I had taken too many separate sick days because what I was doing was that if I was sick, I would take like half a day or a day and then come back. And apparently I had like, let's say I had 10 sick days, but they could only be in like two or three individual like breaks. Like I couldn't just take one sick day and then take another sick day. Like I could only have three instances out of that 10. Yeah. So I got talked to about that and I was like, I was trying to get back to work so I could work. <laughs> right. <laughs> but apparently, you know, but that was, I mean, but probably what happened was that they had some situation where that became kind of an issue and they thought, well, what we need to do is make a rule about it so that nobody else does it again. And, and that's sort of the other side of it is that this is an application of like severe bureaucracy. But I, what, what's the, that I like your term minimum viable, or I was thinking about the book, just enough Unix. And I was thinking, yeah. yes, just, just enough, enough bureaucracy. Right. Um, and that's an expression too, like just enough process, right? Just enough right. structure and just enough process, like necessary and sufficient amount and no more. That's, and that's tricky. Yes. It's, it's, it's very hard. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I found, you know, all of us have some understanding of say the culture of PHP and sort of the, what are really around the language of PHP. And that is very, very, uh, bureaucracy resistant. I mean, I've had, I remember saying like, you know what we should have is we really ought, you know, maybe you have just at least one person who's in charge of like being sort of like an advocate for developers amongst in the PHP organization or whatever that might be. And I got, I remember, you know, this was, I was just talking about it on Twitter and I got, Really big pushback, uh, from a guy who's a, a big internals, you know, a res very respected internals developer. And he said, uh, no, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in mission statements, any of that. If you'd want to do it, somebody should just do it. And if they don't, don't do it. And I was like, well, kind of. I think you need to apply a little bit of it to, but you know, what am I going to do? That's sort of, that's the accepted culture of, of what PHP is and it's anarchic and that's what it is. And that's what has been great about it. And that's, what's also awful about it. <laughs> right. Uh, so it is what it is. And I don't think that's a, that's a war I want to fight, but um, it's interesting anyway. Yeah. So one of the things um, that I think is a good time to bring this up <clears throat> is that uh, I think about phase changes in org sizes, right? So I'm going to start by explaining this in terms of a web app because we all understand those. Everybody in this call understands. Everybody in this listening to this podcast presumably understands something about web apps. And you know that thing, that side project, when you just hack it together, maybe it doesn't have any caching, it's just like like one server and it has some PHP on it and has some MySQL on it, and that's fine. And at some point you start getting some users. And you go, oh, my God, everything is crashing. What can I do to fix this? <clears throat> so you start adding some stuff. Um, you probably add some caching. Say so you add Memcache or Redis. And let's say you add 
a slave database to do your reads from and you do your writes on the master and that'll take you along for a good long while and then you need to start having multiple of everything and you know at some point you go oh my gosh we have too many writes and we need to add a message queue and at some point you end up with a huge amount of data and you end up adding some insane NoSQL data store and you know what I mean like but like you can go along for a good long while <clears throat> doing what you've done and at some point it blows up and that is what I think of as a scaling phase change where, and it's not, usually those things are not gradual, right? Like everything's working fine. And then you just hit some like tipping point in the number of users or the size of the data and everything is broken. So companies are like this too. Um, <clears throat> you start a company and it's just you and maybe like one other person sitting in your garage and you don't need to have any processes because it's like two people sitting next to each other talking about stuff. Um, and the first time you hire somebody that's not a founder, right? Or the first time you get an open source contributor that pops up that isn't somebody that you know on your project, that's where you have to start writing stuff down. So suddenly you have a process, you have a documented process because you wrote down, uh, <clears throat> how to do something. And, you know, that, that kind of goes along pretty well until you get up to about, yeah, you know, it's about 10 people and then people start forming themselves into teams. If you don't do it formally, they'll do it on their own. When you get up to around 50 people is where a lot of people go, holy shit, this is a company. Um, and they start, you know, this might be where they hire their first, like, HR person or an office manager, um, and suddenly start getting some process. The place I have found the most painful is somewhere around the, it's between, like, 100 and 300 staff. Um, <clears throat> and I think what happens here is that it's, it's almost like, like, the company's like a teenager, right? It's like, I am a grown-up and I can do everything that grown-ups do only better. Um, and they feel like they have to have like a thousand tons of process and they go all over corporate and everybody starts wearing ties and talking about like enterprise this and bullshit that and all their like engineers quit because they hate it. And then they hire some more engineers who weren't as good as the first lot. Um, I think there's another scaling point about a thousand people and beyond that, I don't have enough experience to tell you, <clears throat> but I've seen all of those like lower numbers ones go by me multiple times. Um, you know, in my experience, um, in sort of close friends experiences. And these are the points where you are forced to revisit your structure, um, and think about how you do things. And what I would encourage people to do is think about the structure of their organization and the process that they use to build software as something that they are continuously iterating upon, right? Every day you are deploying a new org structure and every day you are deploying a new process. And if something's broken, you shouldn't like wait a year until you do the next review and fix it. You should fix whatever you can fix that day. Um, not just in your code, but in the way that you work and the structure that you work in. Um, that's kind of my philosophy on that. Anyway, that's really like the theme of the, the talk and what I think I've been thinking about a lot over the last year or two. Cool was that a mic drop? It sounded like a mic <laughs> yeah. drop. <laughs> no, that was a mic pickup sound, actually. I, I recognize yeah. that noise because Ed and I now have, uh, both have the, um, same microphone. So I recognize that clicking noise from, uh, clicking the mute button to bring yourself, uh, um, back. It's super irritating because if you hit it a certain way, it makes no sound yes. when you click it. But like, if you don't hit it the right way, it makes this metallic sound that of course gets picked up in the recording and I have to remove it when Funk. I edit it yeah. or I just don't it's bother. It's nice that you remove it. 
Sorry, I'll stop talking about it now then so you don't have to edit out all of this commentary. <laughs> uh, believe me, I don't edit that All right, much, so enough so. talking about uh, jack wagons <laughs> who think that they don't need managers. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, uh, other thing that Ed wanted to talk, Ed wanted to talk about, and I want to talk about a little bit too, that the news came out uh, yesterday finally um, that Facebook has finally open-sourced and revealed to the masses Hack, which is version of php that sits on top of the hhvm now i will preface all my comments by saying because i'm actually allowed to talk about this now i was i had been playing with hack for a couple of months under an nda so i couldn't share anything that i've been working on because i got really interested in it and i bugged sarah goleman endlessly until she connected me with the right people internally at facebook to basically get on the um, list of, I don't know, beta or alpha tests. I don't even know what you want to call it. People who were being shoveled um, uh, tarballs of hack and other stuff. And so I got a chance to play with it. And um, I know that, I know that Ed is actually quite excited by it as well. And I'll kind of talk about, before I let Ed um, uh, go on and on about it, I will talk a little bit about my own experiences where the thing that impressed me the most about hack was not just the stuff that they've added on to, um, to their flavor of PHP, which is where we now, uh, I shouldn't say we because I don't work for Facebook. I hate this thing. As a quick aside, I hate people when they talk about sports teams, they say we. It's like, unless you work for the team or you're out there on the field, pitch, uh, cricket, whatever, cricket, whatever you're doing, um, it's not we. It's I'm they. the tw- I'm the twelfth man, bro. You no, know, you're no, you're not. And uh, I'm a huge Jays fan, but I never refer to them as we because I don't work for them. It's they. They put out the effort. I just get to sit back and watch and enjoy it. So I won't use we with respect to Hack and HHVM. One of the things that impressed me most about the work that they put into it with the gradual typing is that they were really strictly enforcing typing both as parameters being passed in, uh, and for, you're able to enforce return types. And, um, the reason I found this so exciting is that I thought it had great applications for humongous, gnarly, um, legacy, um, code bases that even if you weren't ever going to use, um, the newer features that hack offers you that just the tools themselves that are doing a type checker and you'll even do stuff like you look at your code and it will tell you, Hey, I know you, it looks like you started using this variable as a, an integer over here, but now you're using it as an array. Is that something that you want to do? The, the support tools that come with it actually did that. They have a plugin for Vim and I could, um, analyze it and I could write, I could open up some code in an editor and then with a little key binding, I'd say, Hey, analyze this for me. And it would point all those things out to me, things that maybe I have never thought of before, or just pointing out the inconsistencies in your code. And one of my hopes is that if hack and HHVM can get some, get some drive behind them, that uh, as a tester, there's a whole category of tests that go away. You never ever have to write a test again, because I've written tests like this, where you're checking parameter types and you're checking return types to make sure you're getting back something that you expect. Hack lets you enforce that at runtime. And I never ever have to write another test, test to verify that something that I'm getting back as a return is an instance of some object or is an array or is an integer or whatever. I never ever have to look for that stuff again. And for me, I find that exciting. And, and I think it's no surprise that Facebook has created a tool like this because they have ridiculous amount of legacy code that they're dealing with. And it seems now completely uh, makes sense that they would build a tool like this. Kunk. Yeah. <laughs> I heard, I heard, the, I heard the mute thunk there. That was good. Chunk. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, 
I'm excited about it because it fixes a lot of, for me, it fixes a lot of things that I, uh, that bug me about PHP or, uh, I wish were solvable. Like, I mean, the big thing for me is like being able to say, no, I expect this kind of scaler to be the parameter. Um, and you have that kind of halfway in PHP, but they stopped at, um, they stopped at classes and I guess you can say that you expect an array to come in. Um, so the type annotations are a big thing for me. And then there's a bunch of other things that I think are going to be helpful for people. Um, like if you start using Python, you're like, wait, there's not one kind of array. There's 6,000 kinds of arrays. And then it takes you a while to figure out how to like, actually like which ones you use and which situations and things like that. Um, I must butt in and say, yes, so much. Yes, but please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, I use dictionaries a lot, right? In, in, in Python. But if I have a case, particularly where there's a performance thing, I'm not going to use a dictionary for, you know, some kind of exact set. And, um, and I guess there's some kinds of stuff like that in PHP. Like there's some SPL stuff for like faster indexed, you know, numerically indexed arrays and, and junk like that. But, the the set of collections is really useful in it. Um, I think that uh, the, there's a thing that I think uh, that hasn't come up, but there's a thing called shapes, which I think is really interesting, which basically is like you define a, a struct. Um, and uh, the, the fact is I haven't even thought about structs since I was in college. Well, I use them in Go when I wrote some Go uh, right. code. So, they use structs. So it comes up because, I mean, it kind of comes from, from for it was, was it in C or C++ they had structs? I don't, I can't even, I don't even fucking know. Sounds like um, a C thing. Yeah. So that was the last time I thought about it was, was in that. But, you know, there's the idea of being able to pass in, uh, you know, some kind of, object that that basically has a set of parameters pass that in as 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 that's a a container for a bunch of different parameters but you want to pass it as one thing you don't want to pass you don't want to have to list out like 85 different parameters in in your function uh, signature and they solved that problem with that with using having these things called shapes in them which are you know kind of solve that um there's some async stuff in it, which may or may not be useful for everybody, but there's some kind of stuff for async execution. Uh, the lambdas look cooler, uh, than closures are right now. I mean, the big thing for me is that, um, uh, when I compare when I'm working in JavaScript or Python and then I go to use closures in, um, in PHP, it's that sort of annoyance that, um, it makes sense, but it, there's that annoyance that you have to, uh, use the use statement to import anything you want from the, uh, scope above it. And, uh, and, and these, like the, the Lambda stuff automatically captures variables from the enclosing function body, uh, which is super useful. Um, and just means you're writing less stuff. Now you could also make the argument that it's less explicit too, but, Frankly, I kind of like it better because I'm used to it in JavaScript and Python. Um, there's just, uh, uh, and it does have like the, uh, I guess, I'm not sure this is actually a part of hack itself or if this is just something that was supporting the HHVM, but the XHP stuff I think could be really useful. Apparently the XHP is that sort of like XML as a, uh, first class type. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a HHVM thing. 
Right. So there's some there's some stuff about it in the hack language definition, uh, but it is useful in the sense that it really mitigates a lot of uh, injection attacks uh, and cross site scripting stuff. Um, so I, you know, there's a bunch of things in here and it's not, but I, you know, you could just say, oh, well, it's PHP with, with type annotations. Actually, there's a bunch of stuff in there. It's kind of, I think there's going to be a lot of it that could be useful for, for different kinds of people. Um, so I'm excited about it. The, uh, I, I, you know, the, the thing that, and I really want to hear from smarter people. That's why you're on the podcast floor. Um, I want to hear from you about this because I think you've got a, a really good historical context on this. And I'd, I'd like to hear about it that in the context of PHP and as somebody who's written a very famous and you know very good book on PHP and MySQL development. Um, I think one of the things that if I were, was a caveat that was out there for me is the worry a little bit is that is hack going to be something that is developed by Facebook and then it's sort of bestowed upon the people. Or is it something that's going to be that that development process is really going to be opened up? And is that that's sort of like the one thing that I, I think I have that's my most the most concern I have about it, because that model is very, very different than what we've had with PHP. And the model with PHP has uh, maybe because of it, maybe it had nothing to do with it, but it's been very successful. I'd say PHP has had, you know, wildly, you know, massive adoption. Um I guess I'm interested to hear, Laura, what your thoughts are on it as a language and as, you know, in the context of, of, of your, your knowledge of, of, of PHP and the PHP community, what you think about this. That's a big question. Um, so You'll have less I, to say wanna, then. That's right. It's true. I will have less to say, actually. Um, so with a disclaimer that I have not played with Hack. Um, I've only like looked at the kind of the high level stuff that's come out over the last few days. I, I was not in the secret NDA like uh, some people in this discussion. The but, um, inner <laughs> circle of PHP. The inner circle. See, apparently, I'm not in the inner circle. That's okay. Um, that happens a lot. So, from what I understand, from having had it, like a really brief look at it, it what it reminds me most of is actually CoffeeScript. Um, in terms of Hey, let's take this language. This kind of what was that expression Terry Che had once, like a, a ball of nails. Let's take this language that's a ball of nails and kind of like make it a little bit less ugly. Um, <clears throat> that's going to be a good thing, right? The thing that I think is interesting is the choice of features that are added um, and the, the features that are subtracted. But I'm not really so worried about the features that are subtracted, except for one. Um, and I'll come back to that. So. A lot of things they're adding, it's kind of interesting to me because there was a phase that PHP went through where it was getting more and more Java-like. And funnily enough, the features that I see added here make me think more. It's it's more like going back to um, to sort of C++-like stuff, um, especially with the generics and so on. Um, <clears throat> so I find that pretty interesting. You know, I, a lot of it is really aimed at making it harder for you to shoot yourself in the foot, and that's generally a good thing. Um you know, overall, I think it's a good thing. I think the it will not be something that, like, the average PHP program picks up is what I anticipate because, you know, we kind of make jokes that the, the average PHP programmer sucks. But it's true, right? Like, the average PHP programmer is like a – they don't suck, but, you know, they have no need to use HipHop um, and HipHop VM. I think that it'll be interesting to see who does adopt it. And I kind of think that the people like us who are pretty senior and have been doing this sort of stuff for a long time will use it. I think that people who have to use everything hipster will use it and then <clears throat> we'll kind of see how much adoption it gets. Um, on a broader level, uh, 
I, there's, so the thing that I find I'm a little nervous about is you have to use XHP or a templating language. Um, and this is good and it's a good practice and whatever. But, um, one thing to sort of think about here is that, um, you can't just go out and use hack with like one of your existing PHP frameworks right now. Right. So you are either writing your own new templating language or using XHP. Is that correct? Have I, have I missed some way where I can go out and like write things in symphony on top of hack? Oh no, no, you absolutely can. You, it's still just PHP. There's you, you can just use PHP templates. I mean, the big issue right now, of course, is if you're using anything that's an extension, uh, there's a ton of extensions that are not compatible with HHVM, but very little has changed with HHVM and Hack. It's 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 kind of like they're they're trying to. I do know that they're not that far behind from from like what you would call mainstream PHP or, or C PHP. I don't even know what you would call. I know someone referred to it as PHP.net. Not sure. I was reading something about it. I thought that was <laughs> actually kind PHP. of, I thought yeah. it was kind of weird to call it PHP.net compare PHP.net to HHVM. But I mean, the big thing I, people at, at Cinecore, cause I did a presentation about hack just based on publicly available stuff, not the, any of the NDA stuff, but I was, people were asking me questions about it. I'm like, well, like HHVM said, you can, we could probably do a lot of the stuff that we're doing at work already, but we do have a, cu- a few custom uh, extensions that we use. Um, we use um, C templates as our templating language. Someone wrote an extension for it years ago at Cinecore, so we're using C templates. And they look. Ver- the funny thing is, they look almost exactly like Twig. Um, so we could probably drop in Twig as a replacement, I think, but. But just try, I mean, just telling people, you know, like you can use this and probably at some point in the not too distant future, um, HHVM itself will be compatible enough with PHP, um, that you'll be able to drop it in as a replacement. But all the hack stuff, yeah, I, I know that, uh, Mark, what's his name? Marco Ament, is that his name? He, uh, he did a, a blog post about it and he quite correctly pointed out that once you go down the path of actually using hack itself, you have now put yourself at the mercy of Facebook. And if, I mean, it's good that hack's been open source and hopefully they will start getting contributors to it from outside of Facebook. But yeah, once you're on that, it's almost like a one way flight to Mars. You're at the mercy of what happens, uh, until you get to the end game. And you just hope that the end game is that Facebook doesn't get bored of HHVM and hack and they continue to contribute to it and, and let it grow. I mean, I know me personally, I'm interested in playing around with hack. Take an old, I mean, of course, I have an ulterior motive. I want to write a book about it. I have plans to write a book about it, so I need to play with it. And I'm kind of, because I'm kind of interested in, yes, the Grumpy Programmer's Guide to Hack, uh, to HHVM and Hack. That's the plan of what I'm going to do in the fall. So um, I need to play with it and kind of just to get an idea of here's the advantages, here are the things that are good, here are the things that are bad. But I really think that it, you're taking a big chance um uh, by by using hack, and if it's for something that's mission critical internal for your company, then you might have a decent shot. But be aware, Facebook could get bored of it one day, and uh, it, it development will end at a certain point, and then you're stuck with uh, you know that you're stuck with a language that nobody else knows, and it may be very hard to find people that know it. I think so. I feel like in it needs to get a little bit of traction in terms of the ecosystem, right? Um, because right now, if I go out with like all of my standard libraries and frameworks are not going to run on, on hip hop, right? Like they're, they're not going to run on the VM because they use language features that are not supported. Um, so if I'm not sure that's a hundred percent true, really? but I, 
Um, so what I happens think... when you use one of those features that isn't supported? Oh well, yeah. If you it, so it. Yeah. In the in the VM, yes, there's something there. Yeah. There's compatibility stuff with that. So yeah, yeah that's I, what I'm I, getting. At. So not okay, hack, I but if you to use hack, you've got to use the VM, and to use the VM, you might have problems in your in your code, right? So you're gonna have to do some yeah. like some fix ups to your legacy code, most likely. Um, if it's legacy, it's gonna have some of this. Like I, I agree with the things that they don't support, and I understand why they don't support them. But some of them are pretty broadly used. Like you go and look through how many times the word the keyword global occurs in WordPress and come back to me after that. Um, <laughs> seriously. Uh, but uh, if the ecosystem gets traction, then I think it could be a really good thing. Um, it's just sort of that, that question of like how much do people adopt it and how popular is it going to be and do all the frameworks start supporting it and so on. So I think there'll be kind of a, a little bit of a catch up where the kind of the, the, the world decides, if that makes sense. I also always have, and I speak this, I do not speak for Mozilla. Uh, let me just clarify that. Um, uh, open source projects that are largely run from a single company always make me kind of nervous. Um, again, until like an ecosystem around them. So I think this is really exciting. I hope it takes off. Um, I fear kind of the, the Android situation as like a worst case open source project run by a single company, just so you know, or, you know, I could name other things, but let's say Android as a starting point. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. And I do think like this is really cool, right? Like the tech part of me is going, this is cool and I really want to play with it. Um, but yeah. My personal opinion is that the likely outcome of all this stuff is that, um, a lot of the cool features of hack because of, uh, because of Sarah, and I think Sarah is going to be a huge driver of this. A lot of these features are going to end up getting ported into, in language. PH, into PHP itself. So you could almost view hack as really bleeding edge a PHP stuff of really useful features that if enough people who are part of the core team for PHP agree are useful, they will show up in PHP. I think it's probably far more likely that HHVM itself gets a lot more adoption than hack does. Yeah. 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 And that would make sense to me as well. Um, I really hope Sarah does. I haven't seen her for ages. I saw her on Friday um, for the first time in about five years. That was nice. Um, I say all these things on Friday when they had like a, an informal tour of the Facebook campus. That was entertaining. Um, good to see her. And I hope she does uh, port a lot of these features back to the language, the, the core language. That would be nice. Yes, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I agree. I, I, it reminds me a little bit of the situation with, um, with go and my reluctance for a while to explore that. And then now it's really not reluctance matter that I just haven't had time or sort of a thing that, that got me into it. But I was a lot less interested in it for a while when I decided that Google as a company was starting to piss me off. Um, and, uh, I think I, you know, talked about that a little bit on Twitter. And then a lot of people who are active in Go stuff said, Oh, well, you know, they're, they've got lots of outside contributors and stuff like that. And that's, that's, and that may be the case. Um, it may be that they've opened it up. So it's really not a Google project so much anymore, but, uh, but it is a worry when it comes out of sort of one place and, and, um, and when there's a company behind it. And I mean, it's, it's, it's worrisome because it starts to sound a little bit like, um, you know, the worst situation is sort of like the monoculture, uh, where you have a language like you had with like, like ActionScript or with, uh, 
C sharp or things like that. And C sharp actually seems to be a very nice language, but it all, all everything comes that, that comes from it comes from one company and all the support comes from one company. It's all sort of bestowed upon everyone from that one place. And I just never liked that model. I don't feel like I learned very well. I like the, the model where the community is building that stuff and the community is sharing that stuff always seems to me like it's easier to learn things, but partly that might be the way I learned. Um, but it's always, it, it seems like that you get a lot more diverse stuff in there. I remember when I was, um, you know, trying to learn about when I was doing stuff for the spaz project and I was doing the desktop app in Adobe air and it was actually HTML JavaScript based. But the fact is I had to, to do certain things. I really had to learn. Like I was doing things like trying to port action script libraries over to JavaScript and things like that to get them to run and things like that. And one of the, it was a very stark contrast between what you saw in JavaScript culture and what you saw in action script culture. It was just very different. And that, and that culture, like, like all things, the culture sort of permeates from the, the leadership down, right? And, uh, from the originators down and the, the values that, uh, they, they talk about and they bestow and they demonstrate, uh, that filters into the culture for the whole community. Um, so it was very different. You had, you know, lots of people talking about things like, well, how do we encrypt our, our source code and stuff like that? And I was like, why, what was JavaScript? Why would you do that? You know, it, it was, you know, there was, but there were lots of things. I remember hearing that with web OS people, you know, who were talking about, well, we're writing mobile phone apps and they're worried about encrypting stuff. And they, well, I don't want to, I don't want to develop on this if I can't, if somebody could just go and look at my source code. And I'm like, that is alien to me. I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong. It's just very weird to me to, t to even think about that. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Um, I, uh, I guess the big thing for me is that I really hope that, uh, this is the beginning of them opening up the development process entirely. I've seen a couple, uh, I think the, the example that I can think of the most for a, for a, uh, a project that was open source, but really, really driven by one company. Um, and they were never really wanted to let go of the reins was, um, was the code igniter framework, um, which was done by the people who make expression engine, the Ellis lab. And those guys, you know, they maintained sort of, uh, they sort of kept the, the language in a certain place, uh, for a long time it was open source, but you didn't have commit access to it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, they sort of made some attempts to kind of bring in the community to sort of guide that. And they had, they, they, it was, it was very formalized. It was like bringing in, well, they had like five or six people who were sort of like community representatives and they would be some sort of committee that advised on stuff and things like that. But at the end of the day, all it was was you could, they just didn't want to let control of it. They didn't, they didn't want to let go of it. Right. And eventually they essentially abandoned the, they said, we're going to just fork it and use whatever we choose to use inside. And if you guys want to use it, that's fine. And if not, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> and essentially they were just like, oh, nah, screw it, whatever. Um, and, and, uh, that was, that was what happened when you saw a company that really didn't want to let go of it. And, uh, it didn't work out so well and it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm hoping. Uh, you know, I have some confidence, at least especially with some of the people who are involved in the project, that they'll, you know, like Sarah, uh, are committed to that kind of thing. 
but uh it, but it's a worry of mine you know and uh i i hope that it doesn't end up like that good talk <laughs> I, I agree with everything you said so i, I yeah, nothing to add <laughs> this is how you know laura this is how we usually know when we've gotten to the limit for a show because ed will we do a very things, very so. long poignant uh you know monologue about something <laughs> and then there's complete silence while both ed and i figure out what to talk about next um i think we basically went over everything that we wanted to go over from our list of things i think yeah, I Which think is this pretty is pretty good. This uh, has been really fascinating, though. Um, I was, like I, uh, I said yeah. on Twitter, I said I am so so happy we got Laura on because this has been a very, um, a very very good discussion, and um, we had a whole bunch of very interesting things to talk about today. Um, so, anything else you wanted to go over, Ed? Uh, so, do, uh, Laura, can you sponsor the podcast? <laughs> How much money does that cost? Because the answer is probably no this week. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it. the wrong time. We can talk. Yes, about I'm sure. Life. Not you personally. <laughs> yeah, I've got five yeah, we're bucks always on the hunt for sponsors because it helps offset the cost of all the work that Ed does. And I kind of need a new office chair. And, you know, there's a few other things that, uh, uh, offset the cost of some of the expensive audio recording equipment that we've purchased. Uh, we do this because we like it, but also we don't want to always be paying for every single thing out of our own pockets. Come on, people. We provide great value over 40, now 42 episodes of talking about this stuff. I can't believe we made it 42 times yet. I thought we would be lucky to get like 10 of them in, but we just... Uh, yeah, before we strangled each other. Yeah, well, it's, I think we don't strangle each other because we're not physically in the same location. I think that's That's why true. I, I, there would probably be fights. And it's, we probably would have... I'm, I'm already punched you a few times when we were in Chicago when we were doing the live podcast, so that's probably a good thing that we're not in the same room together all the time. Did uh, you actually, like punch him some extra times to like put some in the bank for future... Yeah. Yeah, actually, nice. I, I forget now, Ed. Are you? Are you going to be at Tech? Right? Yes. No. Maybe so. I yes, I'm absolutely going to be at Tech. Well, uh, we're, gonna... we're doing a a cool like a a sort of a mental health summit that, right. uh, of course, you know, I think most of the people who listen to this know that I uh, have been an advocate of uh, you know awareness about mental illness within the uh, developer community, and uh, they committed to do a whole sort of, like last year they did a summit on user group stuff and, uh, you know, getting people to talk on a panel. And, and this year they're, they're dedicating a time for that for a mental health summit, which is really exciting. Um, I think maybe I'm giving a talk too. I think I am. I'm sure that if anybody who actually plans that is listening to this, they're like, uh, yes, you are, you idiot. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, it's a new, Oh, Oh, you know what I'm giving is I'm giving that how to be a great developer talk which right, means right. That oh, for the first time, cool. which means I have to write it. Um, you should just go through the old shows and just put out good snippets of being a good developer and put it like one big long audio thing and just say, folks, chill, sit back, relax and listen to me talk about how to be a good developer. And you can just sit down in the corner and play with your phone while, uh, while an audio <laughs> recording uh, goes on. That would, oh, that, that would be the best case scenario. I could just record myself doing it. Like it'd almost, it'd be like a lecture. Like a professor giving a big lecture, except he just doesn't even speak. He just like hits it. Just listen to this and goes sits back. And, well, I, since you're going to be there, yeah. I guess for sure we can do uh, another live uh, edition of Dev Hell when we're there because we did it last time, and we'll hopefully we'll try to get Eli and the boys to promote it a little bit because last time we were up against free food and a hackathon or something. So I was kind of yeah. Uh, I won't lie, I was miffed. So we have to figure out a way to. 
to get our baller status correctly reflected when we do the live version of uh, of Dev Hell. We can get Laura on if she's going to stick around instead of yeah. jetting off to do Mozilla stuff. Uh, no, on, I'm going to stick around. This. Awesome. No, so we'll that'd get, be wonderful. We'll yeah. get we'll get Laura and we'll grab a whole bunch of people and we'll do a long rambly um podcast where we'll talk. I'm sure we'll have a whole bu- I'm sure we'll have a whole bunch of more interesting things to talk about. Um for those listening, I guess we'll go into a little more. So I will be at PHP Tech in May and Laura will be there and uh Ed will be there. And I'm actually uh I, I'm I, I mean I don't gain any additional benefit out, out of it, but if you're able to go to the tutorial sessions, I'm doing my um my PHP uh, the Grumpy program guide basically the grumpy programmers php testing boot camp so i wish i could have all day i only get three hours to do it i'm kind of disappointed i was hoping that i could get a, a full day tutorial out of it but i'll be slamming through three hours of kind of my approach to testing and hoping to get a whole bunch of people um up to speed so they can take what i what i have to offer and uh, go and replicate the success at, at where they work or in their own personal projects so i'm actually really looking forward to doing that tutorial it should be good. I've done a similar version of it before, but it was spread out over several nights. So this is in one big three-hour shot. I'm going to show people the stuff that I think they need to know to get going with um, with unit testing and stuff. So it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. I love going to conferences. That'll be my that tech might be tech might be my last conference that I'm doing um, this year because uh, I. There are some remnants that we might not be doing True North, so we have to see what's what? going on. Yes, oh, there's nice. a chance. Yes, there's a chance we might not be doing it, so we have to. Um, it's a motivational thing. We have to see. Um, I, it boils down to one of the contributors doesn't know if he can commit to the time, and I'm not sure if I can do it all myself. Is basically what it boils down to. Well, it's so, a lot of work, and, it is, and yeah, it is, I, it, it, yeah. So I can't blame you. So we have to see. So I mean, uh, if that's the case, that is a chance. If if I mean, I'm I am planning on submitting to ZenCon because I would like to go. I haven't been in a couple of years. Um, so if I don't get anything accepted at ZenCon, that might be it for me for the year for um, conferences um, after tech. So I know I'm just dropping a little bit of a bomb at the end, but I have been talking to the other two organizers, and there's a real question about whether we whether we can all put in the the, the time and the work that we need to do it a third time. Because it is for those who haven't ever put together one of these things, it is a, it is a ton of work. There are a ton of things um, to worry about, and. Um, um, at some point you look at it and say, say, well, can, can we summon up enough energy to do it again? Can we put our lives and our jobs essentially on hold for, um, basically a month, um, to make three days of a conference happen? It is a ton of work. I hope we can do it again, but if we don't, well, um, I certainly enjoyed my two years doing it. So, you know, fingers crossed that it all works out. So what you're saying is you got to get paid. No, no, it's not about, it's not about getting paid. It's just about, I can't do it. If one of the organizers drop out, I I can't replicate everything that he was doing myself. And I have a a real concern that um, I won't be able to find somebody else locally to help us out. It's basically what it boils down to. Right. Um, It is, it is a three person job. Pete and I got it done as two people. And then we added a third and the third made it so much easier and allowed us to do other stuff. But if we drop down to um, two, I don't think we can make it work. I only have well, so I only have so many hours in the day, and um, and we'll have to see how it goes. I, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer about it, but um, but yeah, it, there, there's a, there's a non-trivial chance that it's just not going to happen anymore. Well, you really ran over the cat in this podcast. <laughs> oh, 
the before party and after party is always the best part of the show. So I think we've reached to the end. So we have reached the end of another exciting Development Hell podcast. This has been episode number 42, held three three days before my 43rd birthday, as I feel super old. Um, So as always, you can find every single episode we've ever done at uh, uh, devhell.info on the website, along with Ed Snappy. Uh, I was telling my wife, what an awesome job you do, Ed. I've always picking a good title and finding a good graphic um, that goes with it. So when I was looking at this stuff earlier, my wife was like, yeah, these are actually all pretty good. So um, you can listen to every single episode. All the shows are up there. We're also available on iTunes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please take the time to rate the podcast. Tell us what you like, what, what you don't like. We do pay attention to these ratings. We try to incorporate your feedback into the show because after all we do this uh, ed and i partially do it because we enjoy talking about this stuff but we also do this because we want to share what we know with other people and hope that the things that we find interesting you find interesting as well um so you can find the uh, oh before i keep going further laura thanks so much for joining us i, I really appreciate you taking taking uh taking some time to talk to us despite all the horse shit that you've gone through with the past month of have like having no having no running water for 16 days i'm pretty sure i would be divorced by now if we had uh six uh, 16 days of, of no running water at our place. Um, you know, we, so, we were in it together, so that helped. Yes, that that does help. Uh, we also like to thank our awesome sponsors, Engine Yard, fine, fine purveyors of platform as a service, one of the original um, pioneers and trailblazers in this field. If you write PHP, uh, Ruby, uh, and JavaScript, mostly Node stuff, and you want to be able to deploy your stuff to uh, a scalable sandbox and just remove a whole bunch of um, server-related worries um, from your to-do list, I highly recommend you check them out. And as always, thank you to Paul and Paul and Will from the Wonder Network for providing the bandwidth. Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter at uh, dev underscore hell. You can find me, uh, Chris Harches, grumpy programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much um, for joining us for a very special Friday night version of uh, the podcast. Um, take care, everybody. Good night, Internet. Good night.